Hi, everyone. Susie O here. Just want to let all of you know that the certificates of deposit at Alliant Credit Union are now at, for a six-month CD, 5%, a 12- to 17-month CD, 5.15%, and an 18- to 23-month CD, 4.90%. And for those amounts of $75,000 or more, just add on 0.5% to those rates. Go to myalliant.com and check it out. March 20th, 2022, and welcome to Ask Susie and And KT Anything. Now, we know, we know that you think today's supposed to be Susie's school, but we've decided nothing's supposed to be anything other than what we want to do. And given that Thursday, which was supposed to be you and me, KT, I did a Susie school. Today, we're going to do us. Okay, then, KT, you have questions for me? Yes, and the first one is going to, I think, pull at your heartstrings. You ready? Are you sure I have a it, heart? You do. You have a big heart, Susie. And it's this is from Krista, and, and I picked this one specifically for you. It said, hi, Susie. I've been working on getting out of debt since the pandemic. I am having some success, but I feel like I'm stuck at my job. I am 46 and have worked at the same place for 17 years. I am a waitress. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. There you go, Susie. I make $2.83 an hour plus tips. I want to ask for a raise because I need to make more money to keep up with inflation. Is it unreasonable to ask? How do I do it, Susie? I am desperate and I need change. And this is from uh, your Krista. Krista, let me see that, KT, for a second here. So, oh, KT, you wrote a note on it. I did. KT wrote, oh, you're writing notes on emails now. And the note that KT wrote was, stand in your truth. Meaning have the courage, Krista. Listen to Susie and just do it. Don't be afraid. Just ask. Here's the thing, Krista, is that especially today, where so many employers are really, really looking for employees. They can't find good people or people at all to fill their jobs. You are a valuable commodity more today than you've really ever been, believe it or not, number one. But number two, and this goes for everybody, you cannot ask for something that you want or need from a place of fear, or a place of powerlessness. Remember, power attracts money. Powerlessness repels it. So there is nothing wrong, sweetheart, with you going to ask for a raise. But you have to do it from a place of strength. And you have to do it from a place of 
where you don't ask a question that you could get the answer of yes or no. So what do I mean by that? Don't go to your boss and say, can I have a raise of 10%, for instance? That's a yes or no question. If he or she says no to you, what are you going to do? Go to your boss and say, I have worked here for 17 years. You've seen what a valuable asset I am. And now I am asking you for a 10 or 20% hourly raise. Which one do you want to give me? That is not a yes or no question. That's an either or. Make sure the amount of money you want is the lowest amount you ask for. So if all you want is a 10% raise, then ask for 10 or 20%. If you want a 20% raise, then say, I want a 20 or 30% raise. And watch what happens. But do it from a place of strength. Do it from a place of where you know you deserve it. And go for it. And if your boss says no, then it's time for you to think about looking around and seeing what else is out there for you. Susie, there's another option here. Krista said, I need change. She actually said, I'm desperate and I need Need change. change. That means maybe after 17 years, it's time to change. Have you looked into it? Are you afraid to consider other employment? Yeah, that's, it's true. If you need change, is it the change of a place or do you just need change because of money? Money usually isn't the only reason you need a change. So KT's right there, Krista. You might want to look around as well. And 17 years, that's mm-hmm. a long time to be somewhere. You need to ask yourself the question, did you stay for 17 years because you loved it? Or did you stay 17 years because you were afraid to leave? How would you answer that question, my dear Krista? All right, KT, what else do you have for us? Okay, next one, which I really like. Hi, KT and Susie. KT, you like them all. No, but this one is important. They're all important. No, no, this one everyone must have. You get it? Ready? (laughs) Thank you for all you do for us. I purchased Susie's must-have documents and I've used them for my 83-year-old mother. It was quite easy to do, and we are both very thankful to have done that. Wait, before you go on, just for those of you who don't know what the must-have documents are, they are documents, legal documents, that you must have. And they are comprised of, and every single one of you must have these, a will, a living revocable trust, an advanced directive and durable power of attorney for healthcare, and a financial power of attorney for finances. So every single one of you needs those. But those are really expensive when you go to a lawyer. You know, most lawyers are going to charge you $2,500, $3,000, whatever it may be for those documents. And a long time ago, over 20 years ago, my personal lawyer and I decided that People can't afford that. Everybody needs those documents. And we figured out a way to computerize them, individualize them, and make them available to all of you for a really reasonable amount. Recently, we had to go up to $99. They used to be $69. But hey, $99 for $2,500 worth of -of state-of-the-art documents, 
worth it, especially since you can share it with anybody in your family. Go to suzyorman.com slash offer, and that is where you would get them. All right, KT. Wait, I have to tell everyone a little side note. So Susie was in the hospital, as you know, for this surgery a few weeks ago. And the first thing the admission nurse asked me was, do I have a, <laughs> a directive for health care? And I looked at her, I said, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> they all had a chuckle. They were actually teasing me. Okay, so here we go. I am a widow and had a revocable trust created with a lawyer for myself after I saw what I had to go through with my husband's passing. My documents need updating as my daughter had a name change and I have some new accounts. Can I create updated documents with the software and use the existing trust name? I would prefer not to have to contact all of the institutions again and retitle my house. So this is a great question because a lot of people ask this. Can I do this, Susie, with your program and then get them notarized to make them official? Would that be appropriate? You betcha you can. You all should know that once you create a living revocable trust, that trust has a name. Like mine is Susie Orman, trustee for the Susie Orman Living Revocable Trust, dated the very first time I created that trust. That name sticks with my trust for as long as I live. Regardless of how many changes you make. Which are a lot in my particular situation. <laughs> so yes, you can absolutely do that. I just want to say one thing. You say that your daughter had a name change and you say that you have some new accounts. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to change your trust and do a new one. You could just put the name of your old trust onto your new accounts, and everything would be fine, just so you know. But if you want to update everything and do that, yes, use our program and absolutely no problem whatsoever, as long as you get it notarized. Yeah, the new one, have it notarized, right, Susie? Yeah, and make sure that your new accounts, you change the title from individual name into the title of the trust. Okay. Next is from Mary. Hi, Katie and Susie. My son is turning 18 next week. You need a haircut. <laughs> I do? Yes, look at yourself. No, it's all right. It's all right. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go on. Okay. <laughs> so this next question is from Mary. Hi, Katie and Susie. My son is turning 18 next week. I want to give him a head start by opening a Roth IRA for him and gifting the first contribution. He's still in high school, but I've taught him about compounding interest and how important it is to start investing at a young age. What do you recommend for an investment? A target date fund, an ETF? Thank you, and I love listening to you too every week. Hope you're feeling better, Susie. So tell Mary what to do. What do you think I should tell Mary to do here, KT? Well, she can open the Roth for him, but it's got to be with his earned income. So here's the thing, Mary. Good, KT, by the way. So here's the thing, Mary. Anybody can have a Roth IRA, even a minor, as long as they have earned income. So your son has got to have earned at least 
the amount of money that you put in for him. Now, the maximum for under 50 this year is 6000 If you're 50 or older, which obviously he is not, it's 7000 a year. So if all he earned this year was $3,000, the maximum that you can put in is 3000 If he earned 15000 the maximum that he can put in is 6000 Now, he doesn't have to put his own money into the Roth. You can fund it for him as long as he has earned income. If he doesn't have earned income, you cannot fund that Roth IRA for him, no matter what. So let's say that Mary's son cuts grass every Saturday, and he's earned $1,000 for the year. And she opens the Roth for him and puts in $5,000. She can't do that. That's she what I can't, That's can't what I just told that. you. So it's 6000 or 7000 depending it's on the age. Match. Right. Or 100% of your earned income, whichever one is less. Okay. All right. I get it. So that's what you have to do, Mary. Now, in terms of a target date fund or an ETF, here's what I would suggest. He's going to be 18 which means he can do it in his individual name. Let him decide and learn what to invest in. The best thing that could ever happen to him is for him to make mistakes now, Mm, for him to lose money now. Because otherwise they get very arrogant and they think, oh, I bought GameStock and it went up to $400. Look how much money I made. And they keep thinking things like that. Then all of a sudden they bet the bank on it and they lose everything later on in life. So I think he, he should be listening to the podcast on diversification, ideas that I've had. Maybe he should watch CNBC, things like that, and let him decide how to invest the money. Just so you know, my dear Mary, I would not do a target date, ETF or mutual fund. All right. All right. Next question is from Deb. I have a question on employee retirement traditional IRA accounts. I'm 57 years old and I've been contributing to my employer's 401k traditional IRA and I've been contributing for 15 years. Stop. You should see her face when I said stop. She just froze and her eyes got so big. And she looked at me like, what did I do wrong? What do you mean? KT, there's a contradiction in terms there. Mm -hmm. What is it? This is your quizzy. There's no such thing as an employer IRA. My employer's 401k traditional IRA. There's no such thing. There's a 401k. There's a traditional 401k, but employers cannot offer you an IRA, everybody, because an IRA stands for what, KT? Individual retirement account. All right, so she has it wrong, but I just wanted to point that out to everybody so it didn't confuse people. So she's talking about a traditional 401k with her employer, not an IRA. All right, go on. Okay, so Mary, here's the question. That you should be asking. Go on, read it like it should be. I'm 57 years old and I've been contributing to my employer's 401k and have been contributing for 15 years. Last year, I decided to contribute to my employer's 401k Roth. 
but I kept the 15-year contribution in the 401k traditional because I was concerned with dwindling the money I had built up. See that people still don't get it, Susie. My question to you is, should I convert my 401k traditional to the Roth account now or wait for later? And if I wait, when should I convert it? So Susie, we need to set Deb straight. The fact that she is concerned that she's going to dwindle the money she built up in the traditional because of a conversion. Can you help her understand the <laughs> I Roth? can help anybody, KT. So Deb, <laughs> here's the thing. Now might not be such a bad time to convert if you were going to convert because when you convert from a traditional 401k or a traditional IRA to a Roth 401k or a Roth IRA, you pay taxes on any amount that you convert. And normally, that money is invested in the stock market. So if the stock market is currently down, there actually isn't as much money in that 401k as there was maybe a year ago. So you would pay less taxes right now because very possibly that account is down 10 or 20%. So if you were going to convert, now is a great time to do so. But you need to check with your accountant to make sure that that doesn't put you what? In a higher tax bracket. It doesn't disqualify you maybe for student loan packages for your kids or child tax credits, all those things. So just check with an accountant before you do it. But if you were going to do it, now is probably a good time to do so while the markets are still down. Now, this thing about dwindling it, I have no idea what you mean by that. But you are 57 years of age. So the question becomes, when are you going to retire? And when are you going to start taking money out of your traditional 401k to live on? Because if you're going to retire in two or three years, then it makes no sense to convert. So you want to know that the money that you convert, that you owe taxes on, it gets to stay in there long enough for you to make up for the taxes that you are going to pay on it. Otherwise, just leave it like it is. Okay. Okay, Susie, the next question I have is from Kathleen in New Jersey. Kathleen, I picked this because I'm from New Jersey as well. So here you go, Kathleen and her husband. It had nothing to do with the question. You picked it just because she was from New Jersey? Yeah, I did. <laughs> do you understand, everybody, what I live with? Do you understand this? Anyway, okay. I, I figure she's a Jersey girl like me, so we're going to help her. And, and by the way, you're a smart Jersey girl. They're doing great. She and her husband are in their mid-30s, Susie. They are doing everything right. She sent me a big, long list of all that they have been doing, which is perfect. So the question is, what is the first step in planning for our future? We're both in our mid-30s. We are in decent financial shape. They're in very good financial shape. But sometimes the number of different directions we can go in feels paralyzing. And she said there's like 10 forks in the road, so they don't know what to do first. And the question is, should we be maxing out 
our 401ks, and my Roth IRA every year before investing in the stock market? (laughs) Then, wait, (laughs) we know the answer to that. Should I open an IRA for my husband? I think she means a, a Roth. And should we open an index fund with the money in our savings account? Then here's the the glitcher. This is why she needs you. Should we combine our 401ks? You can't combine them, right, Susie? You can't combine retirement accounts. Or you can't combine your 401ks because you work for different companies, I assume. And even if you work for the same company, therefore, it's an employer sponsored retirement account. So they can't be combined. So here is the way that investment should be handled for everybody. The very first thing you want to do is you want to make sure that you are out of credit card debt. You don't have debts, car loan debts, any of those things. Next, you want to do what? You want to do at least a 12-month emergency fund. And that's why we brought on Alliant Credit Union for all of you to have a really great opportunity to have a fabulous place to save money. They should all go check it out. Tell them where to go. Yeah, myalliant.com. Okay. After that, you should be all investing in your employer's sponsored 401k or 403b or TSP, whatever they offer, especially if they match the contribution. Within an employer-sponsored plan, if they offer a Roth, you should be doing the Roth 401k, the Roth whatever it may be, TSP 403b. Once you've done that, you sh- and you qualify for it, you should also have a Roth IRA. Now, the traditionals, the whatever, I like Roth retirement accounts, as KT will tell you, as you all know, her very favorite topic, more <laughs> than anything else. Also, what I didn't like, Kathleen, about your email is you say, should I open an IRA for my husband? What does that mean? Does that mean that your husband is letting you do absolutely everything and that he has no say in this and he's not doing things and he just says, oh, you take care of it? Now, while you may think that's a great thing, I don't. And the reason that I don't is if something happens to you and you love this guy, He's not going to be able to know what to do on any level. He's not going to know why you did that, where you did that. So you need to sit down with him and go through it little by little. You're already investing in the stock market within your retirement accounts. So you're saying, should you be maxing out your 401ks and your Roth every year before investing in the stock market? You're already investing in the stock market. So maybe you're asking me, should you do that before you open up an investment account where you invest in the stock market outside of retirement accounts? And the answer to that is, absolutely, you should. Again, you're still young. So chances are you're not going to be in this house that you've bought forever. So at 30, I would not be paying down the mortgage on your home, just so you know. That's essentially what you do. Just make sure you have at least a 12-month emergency fund. 
Make sure that you are out of debt. Make sure you are maximizing and maxing out your retirement accounts where you work and Roth retirement accounts if you can have them. Um, And again, they should be Roth at work. And that those are the things that you are doing. Make sure you have the must-have documents. Make sure that once you do have a child, that you start a 529 plan for him or her right away. So those are the few things that you should do. Consolidate things. Make sure you're all in one place. But these are things that are not that difficult. And you're not that lost because why? You're from New New Jersey. Jersey. Jersey girl. Okay, my last question, Susie, is from Linda. Hi, KT and Susie. My millennial daughter is 29, finishing her PhD, and always pays her bills on time. She does have student debt, but hopes to finish her degree this year. She wants to get a job and hopefully buy a home. She's feeling a bit hopeless about the future for young people, though I can't say I blame her. She has worked hard to build a good credit score and recently paid off her car loan. She discovered several months later that her credit score had dropped 50 points. Why are people penalized for doing financially prudent things like closing credit card accounts you don't use? Right, Susie? Yeah. There you go. And paying off loans, blah, blah, blah. It says, it seems like a penalty is assessed if you aren't taking on more debt. So there you go, Susie. Let's tell Linda why that went down 50 points. So first of all, Linda, you cannot let your daughter have the attitude that she's depressed as to what's happening out there for millennials and things like that. There's always hope. It's not hopeless for the future of young people. The truth of the matter, the future for young people is great if the young person takes their future, especially their financial future, in their own hands. Because when they are smart with money, when they are diligent with money, when they start saving money and getting out of credit card debt and investing money, when they are young, Oh my God, she's 29 years of age. These are her compounding years. So don't say, yeah, I kind of get it. I can't blame her. She feels hopeless. Do not let your daughter feel hopeless. That is the most poverty-stricken mentality anybody can have. And your daughter is smart. She's finishing her PhD. What are you talking about? And it depresses her because her credit score went down 50 points. She's not being penalized. It depends what's happening really at the time that she checks her credit score. Did she charge a lot that month? And did it happen to go down because her debt to credit limit ratio, which makes up about 30% of your credit score went up, whatever it may be. The reason, Linda, when you shut down credit cards, your FICO score or your credit score goes down is because like I just said a second ago, 30% of your score is made up of your debt to credit limit ratio. So let's say you have five credit cards open or a car loan or any other type of loan. And each one of those things gives you a credit limit. So you have five credit cards that has a $2,000 
credit limit on each. So that happens to be a $10,000 credit limit. Now, let's say that during the years your daughter went to school, she maxed out all five credit cards. So she has a $10,000 debt to a $10,000 credit limit that's 100% debt to credit limit ratio, and the most they want to see is a 30% debt to credit limit ratio. So they would want to see for a great FICO score, no more than $3,000 of a $10,000 credit limit being used. She's being great. And she pays off one credit card and she shuts it down. Now she pays off another credit card and she shuts it down. And she does that with every credit card except for one. Now, she still owes $2,000 on that credit card, has a $2,000 limit, but because she shut down the other credit cards, she still has 100% debt to credit limit ratio. If she had paid down the debt on those four other credit cards and left them open, she would have a $2,000 debt to a $10,000 credit limit, which is 20% debt to credit limit ratio, and her credit score or FICO score would have gone up. That is why it goes down when you, in fact, do what? Close down or pay off some debt now. With that said, 50 points here and there doesn't necessarily make a difference. So it's really important that you need to know, as well as your daughter, that there are ranges. So for instance, the best FICO score you can have is 850. However, you're going to get the same interest rate because the range is 781 to 850. So even if she had an 850 FICO score and it dropped 50 points, she's still in the highest range. So it hasn't affected her interest rates on any level. So just so you know, the FICO score ranges go from 300 to 499, which is the worst you could possibly have. Then they go from 500 to 600, which is really poor. A fair FICO score is from 601 to 660. A good FICO score is 661 to 780. And then an excellent FICO score is 781 to 850. So anywhere within those ranges, you are great. So if she happened to go from, let's just say 780 to 730, she's still fabulous. So just know the ranges, all right? Anyway, yes, KT. Susie, you have to tell everyone when I first met Susie, I said, Do you remember those I, days? Yeah, that was like over 20 years ago. And I said, Susie, let's check my FICO score. And that's when she was developing all of this. And I was so disappointed when I learned that I was not a perfect 850. Now, KT and I don't have really. We high, don't have. We, we have, have good. We have excellent FICO scores. We have scores, excellence, but, but we don't have, have perfect. perfect because we have no debt. We don't have we debt. We don't carry any loans. None of that. So who cares about it? Just be in 781 to 850 and you will be fine. 
All right. Is it time? It's your it's, quizzy it's, time. Is it Sunday quizzy? Sunday. Now, KT, I quizzy. have two quizzies no, here. No, just pick one. I want you to pick which oh. one you want me to ask you. Don't look at them. Just pick one. The short one. The short one. The short quizzy. There's two quizzies. One's long, one's short. All right. Do the short one. This one is from Summit. Mm. All right. Now, everybody, quizzy time is very simple. This is where I ask all of you a question rather than you asking me. I ask all of you. KT represents all of you. So don't feel bad if you get it wrong because KT gets it wrong a lot. A lot. A lot. A lot. Right? <laughs> and so you can identify with that. Okay. So, But this is to see how much have you learned over the years now that you've been listening to the Women and Money podcast. Sumit, I guess it would be Sumit. I'm sorry, Sumit, it's Sumit, says, I asked my broker to convert a few shares for my traditional IRA to a Roth IRA, but the broker converted the entire account. After I found the mistake, the broker is telling me that once it is converted, it is not possible to take any corrective action. Is this correct? I am unable to reach the IRS for the last two days. I think that is correct. And I think it was a great mistake. He went from a traditional to a Roth. Wait, wait. I did not ask you. We if love it was, Roth. No, KT. Oh, do, you see, do you see what I mean, everybody? All right, everybody, the question is, is it possible to correct the mistake, whether it was a great move or not? Because you don't know how much money he had in there. Maybe he had half a million dollars in there, and now he's going to owe income tax on half a million. And all he wanted to do was convert a small amount of maybe shares that were already down KT, but instead the broker converted the entire account. It's a mistake. He did not want that to happen because he owes taxes on that money now. The question to you is, can that mistake be corrected? Yeah, I'd make the broker be liable for my taxes. No. Right. No, 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 I know. I'm only kidding. But I think that if he does contact the IRS and explains the situation, then maybe they can fix it. <laughs> I haven't laughed in three weeks. Uh-oh. <laughs> right? Is that what you would do? So all of a sudden, you have all this money, and you would expect the IRS to fix it when you're going to owe them all that money? Yeah, I'd say I don't have that money. He made a mistake, everyone. Can you fix it? So I said first, I don't think you can correct it. But then you but, change that. Because you made it sound like... Do you see like what she you, does, everyone? You made it sound she like... She hates if, being wrong. No, I said, I don't think you can correct it. However, there is something he could do. What? Tell the IRS a mistake was made, and then they put him on a tax payment program. There you go. If you don't have the money, Sumit... Uh, he didn't say he didn't have the money. Well, he wants to fix it. He wants to go back in time. All right, Sumit and everybody else. How did all of you answer that question? Can it be fixed? Can the broker change it back? No. Or not? All right. Listen to me closely, everybody. 
in this particular situation only because Sumit did not request for the entire account to be transferred. And in fact, it was a clerical error. It was a mistake on the behalf of the broker. In this particular situation, Samit can absolutely have the broker reverse the trade, which means Sumit will be made whole and only the stocks that Sumit requested to be converted will be converted. Got that? However, this is a very unusual thing that happened. Usually, truthfully, financial advisors do not make mistakes like that. So you also have to ask the question, what would have happened, however, if Sumit had actually asked the broker to convert the entire account? He wanted everything converted because that's really how most of you do it. And that is usually what a financial advisor does. Okay. So if Sumit had asked for the entire account to be transferred, then the question is, if Sumit changed his mind, could the broker change it back? Think about it. Think about it. And the answer is, the broker cannot change it back. But here's why, KT. Years ago, you used to be able to convert from a traditional IRA to a Roth. And then if you wanted to, because maybe from the time you converted to where it is right now, the markets went down dramatically because you owe taxes on the amount of the account when you convert it. Mm -hmm. So if you convert and it's at $100,000, you're going to owe taxes that year on $100,000. By the end of the year, if the markets went down and that account is worth $50,000, what a shame that you would have to pay taxes on $100,000. So they used to allow you to do something called recharacterize the Roth back to a traditional so you didn't have to pay taxes. Is that still relevant today? No, because with the Tax Cut and Job Act of 2017, they made it a law that after January 1st, 2018, if you convert, you can no longer recharacterize. All right, KT. Oh, now she's sitting here, everybody, because in front of us is this big mirror. And because earlier in the podcast, I said, I think she needs a haircut. Now she's looking at herself in the mirror and deciding if that's true. Is it true? Well, the sides aren't really very good. The top's kind of short. Want me to try to cut it for you? Maybe. Maybe I'll just let it grow. And then when we're on the island, we're all going back to the island in a couple of days. We can't wait. Maybe when I'm there and the sun starts to grow it fast. I can right. cut it. All right, but everybody. But listen, have a great week, everybody. And I have to decide if on Thursday we're going to do another Ask Susie and yeah, KT let's anything. let's go back on schedule. Oh, Everyone but, loves Susie's school on Sunday. Sunday school makes sense. All right, because there's so much I want to tell you about the markets. 
So we'll do another Ask Katie and Susie Anything on Thursday. And then next Sunday, or this coming Sunday, actually, I have a whole thing I want to talk to you again about the markets and are we going into recession and ways for you to think about all kinds of things that I just want you to be aware of. So until then, what do you want to say, KT? Say secure, safe, strong, smart, and beautiful. All right. We'll let her have the last word. See ya Thursday. Bye-bye, everybody. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman is acting as a certified financial planner, advisor, a certified financial analyst, an economist, CPA, accountant, or lawyer. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman make any recommendations as to any specific securities or investments. All content contained in this podcast is for informational and general purposes only and does not constitute financial accounting or legal advice. You should consult your own tax, legal, and financial advisors regarding your particular situation. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman accepts any responsibility for any losses which may arise from accessing or reliance on information in this podcast. And to the fullest extent permitted by law, we exclude all liability for loss, damages, direct or indirect, arising from the use of this information. The must-have documents discussed in this podcast are legal documents created by a lawyer and distributed by Hay House.